welcome to this episode of Beyond the Baselines, where rock music and sports collide. I'm Brianna Cooper. And I'm Leanne Strollo. And today we're going to be talking about untimely deaths, which there are quite a few in both Categories, realms. Yeah. yeah. So to start off, we're going to talk about the first tragedy in rock and roll, which took place on February 3rd, 1959, uh, when Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and J.P. Richardson were killed in a plane crash during their tour. The day of the music died? Exactly. Yeah. Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Yeah, Don McLean references them. Yeah. I have a cool Don McLean story. Did you meet Don McLean? No, but the he wrote... Well, okay, this is according to my dad. I'm assuming it's true because he, like, talked about it forever. But he wrote that song, like, at the pond in my hometown. Because he was from there. American Pie? Yeah. Oh. And, like, so, like, the levee is, like, the pond in where I grew up. That's really cool, which is, mm-hmm. uh, what's the name of your city? New Rochelle, New York. New Rochelle. I, think, I don't think he was from New Rochelle, but he was from, like, right, the same county or whatever. Well, that's cool. So that could have been, like, a embellished story for my dad, and if it is, that sucks, but I'm pretty well, sure it's true. I didn't know Don McLean was from New Rochelle. No, he's, I don't think he's from I mean, New Rochelle, from, he's from, like, around Okay, there, yeah. I just assumed he was, like, born a 20-year-old man in Greenwich Village. place, yeah. Yeah, in Greenwich Village. Um, yeah, so on February 3rd, 1959... Um, Buddy Holly was in the middle of a package tour called the Winter Dance Party Tour. Um, he was on tour with Dion and the Belmonts as well. Uh, Dion was not involved in the crash, obviously. Um, but the tour, or the party tour, um, their goal was to play 24 Midwestern cities in 24 days. Um, but the bus's heating system that they were using, uh, was not working. And again, this was February, very cold. They were in Iowa the night that they died. Um, so, I've been in Iowa in the autumn, and I can only imagine what it's like in the winter, because it was not fun in the fall. Um, so, Carl Bunch, who was Buddy Holly's drummer, um, caught the flu from the uh, ill-equipped bus heating system, uh, and had to be hospitalized for frostbite, actually, during the tour. Yes. Yeah. Um, so about a week and a half into the tour, um, they decided to charter a plane from Mason City uh, in Iowa to Fargo, North Dakota, uh, which was just across uh, the state line to their next show in Minnesota. Um, so, there, and I'm reading this, by the way, from Ultimate Classic Rock. Uh, so I'm getting my info. Um, but the plane only had room for three passengers, um, Holly uh, and his band, uh, and the pilot, Roger Peterson. But the bass player, the, wow, the bass player for Buddy Holly, uh, who was actually Waylon Jennings, who would go on to be a massive country music star, gave up his seat to uh, J.P. Richardson because he had the flu. And according to Jennings' autobiography, um, he was teasing Buddy Holly back and forth before they took off. Holly said, I hope your old bus freezes up. And Jennings said, well, I hope your plane crashes. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, just a few minutes uh, after taking off, they got a few miles in, and then they crashed um, around 12.55 a.m., and it killed four men, all four men, instantly. Um, and a large part of that was due to the fact that the weather was incredibly shitty. Uh, but also, uh, Peterson, the the pilot, was 21 and not trained how to fly in that weather. Um, good, good. Yeah, uh, according to the federal investigation, they found that he had most likely misread the altitude indicator, um, which was different than the one on which he had trained and inadvertently brought the plane down instead of up. 
So, crash. Um, unfortunately, though, at the time of his death, um, Buddy Holly's wife, Maria, was two weeks pregnant, and the day after the crash, she suffered a miscarriage. Um, also, as, as journalists, this is a conversation to have. That actually changed the way um, that um, police and reporters in that area, because uh, she found out her husband died through the news reports. Mm-hmm. So they changed it to where they didn't reveal names until the family's been notified. Well, that's good. I didn't yeah. know that about, like, cele- so that's, like, obviously for celebrity. I mean, everybody, but, like, the most important. Yeah, I believe it was because... it was just that area. Oh, okay. Um, I think, I don't really know what the, I mean, I feel if there is now, a federal law. Now, the way that, I mean, the way that the media is, everybody probably, you know what I mean? Like, back at that time, yeah, it's not, like, a Twitter moment as soon as Buddy Holly dies. Like, right. nowadays, like, everybody knows everything right yeah. away, pretty much. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, I mean, he was very, very young when he died. Mm-hmm. Um, but his impact was, you know, you can't really calculate it. Like, you mentioned Don McLean. Um, mm-hmm. American Pie is about I know Buddy very Holly's little death. about Buddy Holly. Like, I know the Weezer song, and I know that <laughs> the Don McLean song is about him. D- yeah, Don McLean is about, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, Don McLean's song is about, about Buddy that, Holly. Yeah. Those and, are about the only things I know about Buddy Holly. And, like, he may or may not have, like, a Christmas song that's on my playlist. Oh. That, um, I don't, that's, I think that's about it. Well, he also um, inspired Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Bob, uh, I already said Bob Dylan. John Lennon and Paul McCartney. <laughs> also Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney were huge mm-hmm. fans of, of Buddy Holly, mm-hmm. and their earlier music reflected that. And if you've seen early pictures of John Lennon, like the glasses, mm-hmm. 100% Buddy Holly inspired. Um, so just odd, though, that it's, it's, I'm sure it's similar to sports in many ways that Buddy Holly really shaped rock and roll in many ways. Mm-hmm. Certainly wasn't the only one. But very few people know a lot of about his yeah, music I think he's and a lot about like his a, life. Like an image or something that, like I said, like people kind of, like his legacy lives on, but you just kind of know, like, the image of him, and you don't really know the his music or anything like that, you know? Yeah, and speaking of his glasses, though, um, in March of 1980, so mm-hmm. quite a few years after the crash, uh, a missing piece of the plane crash was discovered, which were his oh. black-rimmed glasses. That's crazy. Um, Are they, we sure that's real? This is according to Classic Rock Magazine. I mean, um, did someone just, like, really get one by? Well, here, here's what Classic Rock Magazine, quote, in March 1980, a long missing piece of the plane crash was discovered. Holly's signature black rim glasses had landed in a snowbank and were discovered in the spring of 1959 after the snow melted. They were brought to the Cerro Gordo County Sheriff's Office, sealed in manila envelope, and forgotten about for 21 years. Upon discovery, the glasses were returned to his widow and are currently on permanent display at the Buddy Holly Center in his hometown of Lubbock, Texas. Hmm. So. Interesting. Yeah, I don't really know how that would go forgotten for 21 years. Yeah, like, that but, just seems like a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Especially, I mean, so, discovered in the spring of 1959, that's still four years after the crash, so that's yeah. pretty significant. Like, oh, the snow melted. Like, I think the, <laughs> more than just one snow had melted. Yeah. By the time. Like, I don't know. That just seems very suspicious to me, but... Yeah. Okay. Also, I feel like that's really, like, you find a pair of glasses, and you're like, those have to be Buddy Or, like, Holly's. you just so happen to find, like, a piece of the plane, and it just so happens to have, like, his signature, you know, like, glasses, and, like... Yeah. Really? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. 
Um, I have not been to the Buddy Holly Center in Texas because I've never been to Texas. But I have friends who have been who said that it's mm-hmm. amazing. So I'm not plugging the center. But if you're really into music and you want to know more about the foundations of rock and roll, I would check it out. And you say with no knowledge of yeah, it as a place. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll put it in my schedule and let you know when I go. <clears throat> yep. Yep, when you get down to Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess uh, kind of going off that, I mean, it's an interesting story of uh, I hope your bus crashes and I hope your plane crashes or whatever he said, your, or your bus loses the heat, whatever. Point is, I have two stories that co- coincide with both of those. It's, it's really not funny. I mean, obviously, it's kind of a darker episode. Um, All of our episodes are really dark. I mean... We should have known this going in. We, we, yeah. we knew, know no, we who we are. We've talked drugs, AIDS, untimely deaths. Stay tuned. We're great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, um, a... Uh, I'll start with the bus crash, obviously, uh, was pretty recent, actually. It was early this year. Um, It was the Humboldt Broncos hockey team from uh, a place in Canada. It's a junior hockey team. Um, We're driving to one of their playoff games, I believe, and their bus crashed on the side of the road. It was, like, it was a crazy, like, weather weekend. Everything was just frozen over. I I remember, like, even here, it was, like, exceptionally freezing, which everything was ice. And so up there, it was just, like, I mean, 20 times worse. And they um, crashed into, like, a tree, I believe, and the bus rolled over. It was just, like, really, really tragic. Um, and I believe it was 12 of the players, all, like, age, like, 16 to 18. Like, it was, like, a junior team. Uh, 12 of the players died, and then a few, like, a coach, and then someone who worked for the team died. It was, like, a couple of people. Um, and then a lot of the players, not a lot of the players, but some players survived but were paralyzed, mm. were, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, I mean, a kind of light at the end of the tunnel for that story is just how... Um, they, they put out a go, or they made like a GoFundMe page to pay for like the funerals and, and the hospital bills for the people that, you know, had survived but needed like severe therapy and stuff like that. Um, and they actually, they, I think they had a goal of like $4 million or something, which nobody expected them to even hit. They ended up raising like over like $8 million. Um, a bunch of NHL teams got involved. I know like I, I saw that the Pittsburgh Penguins donated like over twenty five grand to them, like. Just everybody. You See, know. the Penguins do some good things. <laughs> they they do. I, I remember looking, and they were the one. They were the team that all the teams had donated, but they were the one that I think donated the most. All of the teams uh, during the NHL playoffs last season wore like their um, the Humboldt sticker on their helmet. Um, they had invited down a whole bunch of players to come to games and everything. And like, I mean, there's just like, I mean, there were stories all over the place. Like one kid who um, was paralyzed from the waist down. Like, I mean, I'm not, not even a month after the crash, and he was like. As soon as I get out of here, I'm training so I can be on the USA sled hockey team and stuff like, or the Canada sled hockey team, sorry. Um, you know, and stuff like that. And just like one, another one, they had um, invited him to go see the Stanley Cup. And there's, if you don't know, there's kind of like a, uh, I guess like a superstition of like, you don't touch the Stanley Cup unless you want it. And so he like declined because he was like, I'll touch it when I win it. And, you know, and I'm like, this is a kid who like just w- went through a severe bus crash, is like paralyzed. And, you know, just still has so much hope for everything, which is really admirable. And then, I mean, they even started a movement of, like, everybody had, like, sticks out for Humboldt, where, like, if you were a hockey family, like, you put your sticks out on the porch. I know I'm going to start crying. (laughs) It was really, it was a lot. And especially, I mean, like, my family, we're, like, a hockey family. My brother plays, so it's, like, and he's 15, so just knowing that, like, that was right at his age group almost um, Mm -hmm. was just, like, really, like, I think it just hit home for anybody that, like, you know, has played hockey or even any sport really is like, you know what it's like to like be on the bus, go in your playoff game and 
just, it was just really, it cut deep for me, so I know it did for a lot of people. Well, if you don't mind me interjecting, I have a sports story. Oh, we better yeah. let take, yeah. take it away. Well, not only is it a sports story, it's an Indiana history story, which was one of my favorite things. Oh, yes. So for our, oh, I know what you're gonna say. For yeah. our Hoosier listeners. It's very similar. Um, yeah, so in 1977, December 13th, um, Air Indiana Flight 26, yeah, 2216, I can speak English, Air Indiana Flight 216, which was carrying the University of Evansville basketball team, uh, unfortunately crashed, uh, crashed on takeoff. Um, they were headed to uh, play the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders. And unfortunately, everyone on all the players on board mm -hmm. um, passed away. And unfortunately, two weeks after the crash, there was one player who was not uh, on the plane. He was killed after being hit by a, by a drunk driver. Oh, so every so... member of the 1977 Purple Aces yeah. basketball team died in just a matter of... I think, like, from just from my own knowledge and doing a lot of research for this, is like I, like I said before, like, there's a lot of weird, untimely deaths. And, and like, a mm -hmm. lot of plane crashes and bus crashes and car crashes, I think, like, especially plane crashes, I think, being one of the, the more unlikely ways to die realistically, yeah. even though we have, you know... Such a, uh, well, I think part like, of it, I, per, I personally too like I have the biggest fear of airplanes. Like I hate flying. I yeah, would, I mean you were in New York on nine eleven, so yeah. I mean that definitely I think contributes to it, but also just I, I don't know. In general, I'm not a fan. Like I would drive a thirty hour drive rather. Than I think, and I don't. I don't have any proof to back this up, but I think part of it might be musicians and athletes are on planes I was, more. I was gonna say they are like they do have a greater chance but I still think it's like a wildly large number it's definitely for weird. you know you know but uh yeah that kind of leads into the next thing I was going to talk about too um which is kind of a more famous story and I think a lot of people know about it um because Roberto Clemente died in a plane crash um also and, and yeah so he the, the weird thing about his story is I mean I remember when I was a little kid and I would be looking through baseball uh you know, stats and just, like, who's broken what records and blah, blah, I always thought it was funny. Like, I was like, oh, had this guy has, like, exactly 3,000 hits? Like, how does that happen? You know, like, is he still playing? Like, what's happening, you know? And uh, my dad ended up telling me, like, yeah, like, he died after he hit his 3,000th hit. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you know, little me just had this idea of, like, he just was like, well, that's it. <laughs> and, you know, but um, turns out he um, had his final, or he hit his 3,000th hit, his final at bat of the 1972 season, uh, which is just, I mean, that's just, a coincidence you know that it mm -hmm. kind of evened out so perfectly um and then in the off season that year he was doing charity work in Nicaragua because I guess there was a like a huge hurricane there or something so he was um flying I don't know if he was flying like back and forth but he had gone there you know he was doing a lot of of uh help there mm -hmm. after the hurricane and everything um which is awesome and and you think like oh this is such a great guy doing good things you know this is a great way to spend his time in the off season um on the flight back to America, he the plane crashed and he died. Mm. But not only that, Roberto Clemente is like, I mean, he's the first Latin American player to ever be inducted to the Hall of Fame. Um, I mean, he was like posthumously, I'm assuming. Uh, yes. So, but they did. So there's usually um, like a waiting period. Like they don't even vote on you for after a couple years, um, just so you get like you, the, so you can kind of like stand the test of time almost. Of mm -hmm. Like, are we sure this guy was an all star? Or is he just or not an all star, like a Hall of Famer or Whatever, um, but they made an exception for him, and he was actually the first baseball player this happened to, mm -hmm. um, where they uh, kind of waived the um, 
whatever the thing and they they had inducted him the next year i believe oh no 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 wait a second that was lou Gehrig. i'm sorry he was the first one that they had changed the uh the rule for so he could be inducted when he was still alive um but roberto clemente was still inducted um a year later and yeah i mean he was a 15-time all-star won multiple world series i mean i had 3,000 hits so he's in the 3,000 hit club which is not an easy feat yeah if i remember correctly he was uh recently uh google's um little banner probably like, don't they change it every day you think so or you know but, yeah most, sorry that sounded like i was just downplaying <laughs> no i mean i but, think i don't know if it's every day but it's quite often that mm-hmm. they have notable people or events as i think i i was trying to figure out what the hell it was and i clicked it and read a little yeah. bit of them. so some of that's i remember oh yeah 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 um but yeah he definitely is a great great baseball story um I think he's definitely most famous probably for for being such a prominent Latin American athlete and that really opened the door in the early 70s at a time where, um, I mean, in, in baseball specifically too, there just wasn't a lot of diversity as I'm sure I don't even have to say. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I, he was, that was a big deal. And I mean, it just, it's one of those ones too where I think, I mean, like I said, for me as a kid, I didn't really know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to know it and then to know like, he definitely still could have had a career after that. He was 38, so probably not, you know, much longer, but he was still, you know, hit his overall batting average was 317. Like, you know, he was a really good player that still had time left, so who knows what he would have done, you know? Speaking of uh, time left and who knows what he would have done, the next story that I have is also fairly well, not fairly well known. It's very well known. Mm-hmm. Um, John Lennon. Um, okay. So uh, December 8th, 1980, John Lennon was shot and killed outside of his New York apartment um, by Mark David Chapman, who I hate even saying his name because I hate, like, saying the names. Oh, of... isn't he one of the ones that it's like there's, like, a weird coincidence of, like, three named shooters? I don't... Like, I, I mean, about, would like, have to look into that. people that killed, like, JFK, Abraham Lincoln, like, they all have, like, three names. Oh. Don't give your name... <laughs> your kids three names, I guess. <laughs> or, like, so. I mean, a middle yeah. name that you're going to call them, like... yeah. Like, one, two, three, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, There's a weird conspiracy about that. Well, we'll get into it. Yeah, so hours before John Lennon was shot and killed by Mark David Chapman, he signed uh, a a record for Chapman. He was standing outside Mm -hmm. of his apartment earlier. He signed his his album, then went away. And by the time that Lennon and Yoko Ono came back to their apartment, he was still there holding a copy of Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, which is a weird fun fact, if you want to call it a fun fact. Um, a not-so-fun fact. <laughs> yeah, Chapman uh, shot at musician five times and hit him four. Um, he didn't die instantly. There are some reports that claim that he was attempting to climb the steps of his apartment and he collapsed. Um, and when p- police arrived... Um, he was lying face down in his own blood the whole time Yoko Ono was watching and, you know, helplessly. Um, and when the police got there, Chapman, who was 25 at the time, just calmly removed his coat and surrendered. Um, How old was John Lennon at the time? He was 40. Okay. He was 40 with, I believe, I believe Sean Lennon was five. Mm-hmm. So, um, they spent 15 minutes trying to resuscitate Lennon, um, but he died at around 11 p.m., and Chapman was sentenced to 20 years in prison, and he admitted at the time that he shot Lennon for fame and notoriety. There was also reports of um, Chapman found Lennon to be hypocritical, talking about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
imagine no possessions while he's living in this outlandish apartment, which I'm not justifying any of that. I'm just, that was the claim that was made. Um, But recently, this story came out November 15th of this year from Consequences of Sound. Um, Mark David Chapman was uh, denied parole for the 10th time in August. Um, And he told the Associated Press that uh, he's now, quote, devoted to promoting the transformative power of Jesus and that he feels, quote, more and more shame every year for his actions. Um, The direct quote is, 30 years ago, I couldn't say I felt shame, and now I know what shame is. Chapman, who's now 63 years old, said, it's where you cover your face. You don't want to, you know, ask for anything. Is that shame, or are you just tired of being in prison? I think, yeah, I think that's what it is. Um, And the judge said something that was interesting, though. Um, He said that his release would not only, quote, tend to mitigate the seriousness of your crime, but it, was all, it would also endanger others, given that there's no shortage of lunatics out there who would want to seek their revenge for Lennon's murder. Uh, and that quote is coming from Randall Colburn from Consequence of Sound. It's just weird but I, to me. I tend to agree with that, because I was thinking, I was having this conversation with my mom when we were talking mm-hmm. about John Lennon. Um, I think there are enough people out there who would either, they're like huge John Lennon fans yeah. who want some weird form of justice. What's the word I'm looking for? Like vigilante, vigilante yeah. yeah. Or, you know, they just want the notoriety of, I killed the guy who killed John Lennon. Because there are people crazy enough to do yeah. that. I just so feel like he's it's safer very, I mean, in prison. I'm making an assumption here, but I, I mean, the guy's white, right? Yes. So I just think that it's very odd that especially in this uh, way that we live in this country right now with prison reform or lack thereof, I guess, is like... Sorry. <laughs> We've got such a a care for this man who's been in, like, I mean, I'm assuming he's going to spend his life in prison, right? Which, first of all, Most likely. Not, not to diminish the value of, like, the fact that he murdered someone, but, like, and we're going to get into this in another episode where we talk about um, people that get away with crimes because of their notoriety. But, you know, I mean, that's a crazy sentence where, like, rapists, people who murder not famous people, mm-hmm. you know, so, like, get nothing, you know what I mean? And then, like, then you're going to sit there and tell me that you are worried so much for this white man's safety in prison that you don't want to, you know, it just seems well, very strange to me, like, the, the way that everything played just, out. Just to play devil's advocate. The That's judge, what I was kind of doing. And, the you know. judge did say uh, his freedom would endanger others because there are people who would want to kill him. So basically That's endangering others saying, by risking their freedom. I, I suppose that, yeah, but, like, it just... Which it, is an odd way. It sounds way of very like, much to me like we're not going to take you out of prison because we don't want someone to kill you. Like this is for your safety, yeah. and it's like. But I have to imagine the same kind of thinking goes into the Manson family um, mm-hmm. hearings or the uh, not the hearing, yeah, parole hearings. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just it's just very weird, and I mean, I, I don't think I need to say it that the the prison system in this country is just very odd. I don't know what you're talking about. The way that it's, yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. not like there are countless news stories yeah. every day. But yeah, that's uh, that was just my first thought when you were reading that. I was like, oh, it's kind of kind of weird to me. Yeah, kind of seems like a weird cop out type answer. Um, but yeah, what year did that happen in? His I murder. Said it. Yeah, 1980. 1980. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I don't have anybody on my list that I was going to bring up that was shot. <laughs> I probably could have. I definitely think I could have found. Some stories of that, but um, the next one that I had, unless you had more, 
No, I'm done with John Lennon, unfortunately. No. I, I mean, I could go on. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was like, do I even open that door for you? Yeah. Um, no, but the next one I was going to uh, talk about was Lou Gehrig. I know I mentioned him before when I had a little fumble in my words. Um, but Lou, <laughs> Lou Gehrig uh, is also, I feel like I say this every time, it's like one of my mine and my dad's favorite stories to talk about. Like, we're both huge Yankees fans, so obviously he was a big deal growing up. Um and, I mean, everybody, maybe you don't, but he had a famous speech on 4th of July where he announced his retirement. Um, and he was actually the player who um, they kind of uh, had a new rule and stuff where they they made an exception for him where they didn't wait the period uh, mm-hmm. to induct him into the Hall of Fame because they wanted him to be alive for it. Because, uh, yeah, in 1939, he had ALS. And I think everybody, himself included, just kind of knew, like... I'm going to die yeah. soon. Yeah, well, I think now um, people mm-hmm. tend to die five years after their diagnosis. So in the 30s, I can only imagine. Yeah, he died um, two years after he found out about it, which still I think was long, long at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he basically, I mean, everybody, I don't need to tell you how good of a baseball player Lou Gehrig was. He's one of the most famous baseball players for a reason. I mean, just absolutely incredible. Um, I think, like I was saying before, a lot of people I don't think realize, I don't want to say that he was in his prime because he was 37, but, I mean, he had a lot more baseball left to play. And he benched himself in 1939 because he was, like, I think he was batting, like, 190 or something. Like, just very poor play. And he was, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, for the betterment of the team, I'm going to bench myself. Um, come to find out he had ALS and never played again. Now, did was he the first known case of ALS? Or was he the most notable case? I am not completely sure. Because, of sure course, ALS is, yeah, is now... kind of also called Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah. yeah. Um, I believe he's just the most notable. Okay. I, yeah, I would I have a hard time believing that, that, like... He just so happened he's the first person that... Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not completely sure on that, so we could look into that later. But, um, yeah, he found that he had that. Um, and then, like I said, yeah, he benched himself um, and then never played baseball again, which is just, I mean, incredibly sad. Um, and then he had his famous speech um, on his his induction day, and like I said before, he was he was the one that they kind of made an exception for, and he was in the Hall of Fame uh, that year. Um, and yeah, I, I just wanted to bring that up, like because like I said, I think a lot of people know that, and like I mean, especially me. Another thing that I had looked at when I was young, and I was like, oh yeah, like uh, this famous speech. Not that it was happy or anything, but you know, this is a big part of Yankees history. This is a big part of sports history. To know this, and I just kind of assumed that he was like old and you know, I'm done with baseball now. Like, I didn't realize that this was like, oh, you stopped playing because of this, you died because of this. Yeah, you probably had more time to play, especially back then. They tended to play um, more, so I think it was just it was an interesting, interesting yeah. story. But I mean, like, good news now, I think we know a lot more about it. Um, yeah, like I said, still, I mean, there's still yeah. today. People tend to not oh, yeah. live past five years after their diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's definitely... But I do think, ice. I mean, like, we had the whole, like, ALS challenge thing a few years ago. Oh, the ice bucket yeah. challenge. And yeah, and I think that brought a lot of attention to it and a lot of... a lot of uh, Like, I, I actually have a friend who... Because the whole thing was, like, you either do the ice bucket thing or you donate, like, 100 bucks. And she, like, straight up donated 100 bucks. She was like, I'm not getting my hair wet and I'm not <laughs> doing this. But, like, I mean, you know, and it was, like, it's a good thing, though, that you're either bringing attention to it or you're donating money to the cause, which mm-hmm. which is really cool. Or, like, I know a lot of celebrities and stuff did it and they did both where they don- yeah. donated money and did well, it. Well, because they're, like, fun videos. Robert, yeah. Robert, Plant, very, yeah. Robert Plant did it. Um, oh, and he was, that. like, 
ringing a bell the entire video. It was super weird, but it was funny. Oh, that's strange. Um, yeah. Um, so when I was prepping for this episode, of course, when we're talking about untimely death in music, the first thing that everyone thinks of is the 27 Club. Because um, there's just an insane amount of people. Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, pretty much any huge rock star in the 60s. Probably died when they were 27. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really want to hit on that as much because there there's so much online that you guys could find if you're interested in it. And it's better than hearing me talk about it, probably. But I did want to talk about... Uh, something that came up uh, pretty soon after Chester Bennington and uh, Chris Cornell yes. passed away, um, which is the supposed notion that there is a genetic link between creativity and mental illness. Hmm, that's interesting. And, um, you know, I'm not a doctor, that goes without mm-hmm. saying, um, but I know <laughs> really? a lot of... Yeah, uh, in case you were wondering... Um, but I do know a lot of creative people who do not have mental illness. And I do know a lot of people who have a mental illness who are not creative in yeah. any sense. So I don't necessarily think, and again, this is my non-medical opinion, that there is necessarily a genetic link saying that if you're creative, yeah. there's something wrong with you mentally. Or if you have a mental illness, um, you know, I, you're going to be have- a great artist. I think what it is, because there is a high number of people, not just musicians, but Vincent Van Gogh, Sylvia Plath, who were amazing artists and who honed their craft, but were also mentally ill. Um, But when it comes to music, specifically fame, there is so much more access to substances. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think as a person who, I don't know if this has been brought up yet, um, but I do have a mental illness. Right. Um, And I think when you have a mental illness, you're constantly looking for an outlet. Um, For some Mm -hmm. people, that's making something for some people like, you know, painting or Bob. I don't know. Bob Dylan is mentally ill, but he makes uh, gates. That's weird. Um, Look into that. Now we've just alienated our gate making community. I mean, no, if you make gates, that's cool. It's just odd to me that (laughs) Bob Dylan makes gates. He likes gates. Just let him live. Anyways, <laughs> um, so uh, what was I saying? Yeah, if you have a mental illness, you're, you're looking for an outlet. So whether that's creating something. And a lot of times, unfortunately, people with a mental illness turn to substance abuse. Um, this is coming from the National Institute on Drug Abuse. They found that, um, quote, multiple national population surveys have found that about half of those who experience a mental illness during their lives will also experience a substance use disorder and vice versa. Um and research indicated that 43% of people who have uh, a substance use disorder for non-medical use of prescription painkillers have a diagnosis or symptoms of mental health disorders, particularly depression and anxiety. So there is a, a huge number of people who struggle with mental illness who use uh, medication to cope, whether that's uh, painkillers, drugs, mm-hmm. uh, alcohol. And so when you add fame into that mix, you then have access to so much, whether that any any form of coping mechanism you could think of, you have access to. So I thought that was something that should be addressed when you talk about the 27 Club, because so many of them probably did struggle on some level with a mental illness, um, whether that was anxiety or just feeling inadequate and feeling that you had to make something of yourself. I know it's well documented that Janis Joplin had um, terrible self-esteem issues. Um, 
And I don't know if that played into her death, but I mean, overdosing on heroin at 27 is, you know, something's off. Mm-hmm. Well, overdosing on heroin at any age is, yeah. you know. <laughs> Doing not, heroin. Really yeah, there, there, that's, that's a signal that something is wrong for sure. Um, so I, I don't know, I was just reading about people who claim that if you are an artist, you're inherently ill and that it's the same gene. I don't think it's the same gene. Yeah, I, I think, I think true. but I do think there are factors that play into that, that need yeah. to express yourself and to understand the world as you see it as someone with a mental illness. And then you become successful through that art. And then you go backstage and there's you know, bowls of drugs waiting for you. That's a weird way to explain that. Bowls of drugs. That's going to be my band, band name. name. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no one listens to it. <laughs> Um, um, my, I have my apparently weekly reference to Mac Miller again because I love him. Um, and that's an affliction <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> I, I, I could do a whole podcast episode about my feelings, but anyway, uh, <laughs> my feelings on Mac Miller, I guess my feelings in general. Anyway, um, I was reading something, obviously his, uh, sorry, if you did a podcast of like just your inner feelings, it would just be you screaming on mic for an hour straight. <laughs> Um, and then, like, occasionally, like, checking a sports score and then yelling. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, his, uh, autopsy report or, or whatever was, was released recently. I think we talked about this in an earlier episode. But, uh, it was, he had overdosed on cocaine and had, like, fentanyl in it. And it was, I mean, obviously, we don't know what he was choosing to do. But my, uh, instinct on that was that he just got bad cocaine that was laced with other things and it, i read this tweet that was kind of like you know if mac miller who's rich and and famous you know can can get bad drugs like you that's buying cheap whatever in the middle of nowhere from yeah whoever you know you can get you like everybody can get bad drugs like that yeah don't buy drugs you know, yeah <laughs> well, don't yeah. buy drugs. but i think it just it's kind of like what you were saying before too that it's like you know when you're famous and everything's just all around you you kind of have this feeling of being invincible, probably. Yeah. And just, you know, I can do whatever. And it's like, no, you are human just like everybody else. And, you know, that stuff is going to get to you. Yeah. Well, for sure. And, you know, feeling invincible, I mean, that comes with, I'm sure, having people screaming for you and, mm-hmm. you know, thinking you're a god when you're on well, stage. Well, I mean, that too is like, I mean, you have money, you have power, you have influence, you know. Yeah. Just, you feel like nothing can get to you. And... Yeah. And it, a lot of that does play into substance abuse. I know I talked a lot about Led Zeppelin, but they're one of my problematic faves. Um, <laughs> but John Bonham um, died uh, September 25th, 1980. So just a few months before Lennon died. That um, the coroner's report found that he had the equivalent of 40 vodka shots in his system. And Bonham was a large guy. Like, mm-hmm. he was, but like 40 shots, I don't think... Like, that's a lot. I mean, that's... That's a lot. That's overkill. No pun. <laughs> I mean, that's like. I mean, you're getting to a point where he cannot even like. I mean, you, he couldn't even possibly be realizing that he was even drinking it anymore. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Because I, well, yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna go into like personal stuff, but yeah, you would forget, and it's like I don't know if you. Like, you're not even coherent at the. Like, I don't know. I haven't read anything. Maybe you are. We gotta find. We gotta have a guest on that lived through the '60s and. Find out if yeah. if things were just different and were but just. Speaking of Led Zeppelin, when uh, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page were on trial for the Stairway to Heaven debacle, 
Uh, there is a quote from Robert Plant, I'm paraphrasing here, that if you remember the 60s, you didn't live through them. <laughs> so that might be, that might be a roadblock. You need someone just to, just to be here to be like, yep, nope, I don't remember it either. And I haven't really found anything, um, because really in Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page was the really messed up one. He was doing a lot of drugs, specifically heroin. So usually when you read about mess ups on stage and stuff, it was... Jimmy Page. Uh, mm-hmm. He's great, but heroin is terrible. Um, but I know Keith Moon uh, from The Who got to the point where they had to, like, bring in a guest drummer because he was so yeah. fucked up all the time. Or just, I mean... If you want to bleep that out of editing, that's The entirety of the Sex Pistols. <laughs> yeah, well, the Sex Pistols, that's that's a whole... Yeah. But I just think, thing. I mean, one of my... I mean, I... I'm a fan of them. I'm sorry. Um, but... I just think it's really, really funny that, like, Sid Vicious gets the all the... I mean, he gets all the hype for a reason. We all know it. But, like, he gets a lot... I'm like, he didn't even play his instrument. He's not on any record. He went to, like, a few shows, would just yeah. do some drugs and stand there. <laughs> like, he did nothing. To be fair, he did... He literally it, contributed nothing to the To be fair, band. did any of the Sex Pistols play their instruments? But at least, like, at one point they recorded and he wasn't there. <laughs> like... <laughs> I feel like that's my contribution to the podcast. Like, I just sort of show up. I'm like, hey, what's up? And then... True. I scream about music for an hour, and then... And then you call. send me the things, and I edit them. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, until you start recording on your own laptop. Oh, oh, that's... Okay. Yeah. Yep, and also, I don't know how with. to use GarageBand, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you figure out how to use GarageBand, then we can switch places. Um, yeah, so I don't... I could have... I should have gotten someone that died at 27... But I didn't. Well, um, that's but an yeah, odd I have a thing you don't hear. I know. I know. I mean, there's. I mean, there's just like an endless list of like athletes or musicians that have died that I feel like. Yeah. You know, I tried to pick like out there stories or people like you know athletes that were my favorite or really deserve credit. Um, but the next one, I think, if you were alive in the '70s, you probably know uh, this person just because of a movie or, I mean, real life too, but also because of a movie. Um, again, I feel like I talk about my dad a lot, but we, we talk about sports a lot, so he's in a lot of my stories. Um, but you know, he's, he's a very, uh, masculine man who like does not cry or anything, but you put on Brian's song and my dad's gonna cry. (laughs) Um, which I don't know if you know about this, Brie. I do. About Brian Piccolo. No. Um, so he was the... It's an instrument. I know that. Um, he was the backup, um, running back on the Bears in the late 60s, uh, not the early 70s, and, and through 1970. Um, he was a backup to Gale Sayers, and, uh, they, you know, it, it was typical. He was, you know, the backup, whatever, got some playing time occasionally, but he kind of had a really good relationship with him. They were, like, best friends. And, I mean, also, too, it should be noted that these were two men of different races, so this was a kind of a... A big deal that you know in the late 60s with everything else going on you've got this white guy and this black guy coming together on a football team being like hey we're like best friends you know and um having that whole kind of situation going on um and like that's basically what the, the movie brian song is is about and shows that and then uh he unfortunately got cancer and died at 26 in 1970 mm. um and there's like i mean if you've seen it you know like the scene where he's like on the bed basically dying and Gail's in there and he's like you're my best friend like all this stuff and it's just it's yeah it's like you, you should watch it if you need a good cry 
Um, especially I like was crying I, now. Damn. Yeah, right. It's it's really. I mean, and it's it's one of those things. I remember they like even not made fun of it, but they referenced it in like that '70s show at one point where. Uh, like they're talking about what movies make you cry, and all the guys are just like, "Don't bring up Brian's song." Like, yeah, like literally, if you talk to any man who like lived through the seventies, like that's like their peak like crying moment is <laughs> like just because this was so intense. And I think like especially meeting something like football that's so typically not a place where you're open to be like friendly and loving and caring and crying, you know. It's a really good story um, that unfortunately resulted in someone dying, but yeah, the legacy lives on. So there's, and I'm not trying to sound funny with this, but that what you just said that you know it ends with someone dying. Like, a lot of great musicians, and this goes back to the 27 Club, died at 27. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually was going through my notes. I forget. I forgot. Um, Ron uh, McKernan, Pigpen from the Grateful Dead, he died at 27. From internal hemorrhaging, hem- hemorrhaging that was caused by drinking mm-hmm. too much. I mean, to be, all jokes aside, to be 27 and have drank yourself to death, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's a, you have to drink a lot. Yeah. Because typically you only get cirrhosis, like, you know, after drinking a bottle a day for years. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you know. Well, was I mean, was he drinking and doing other things? Most likely. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I I, say, so it kind of speeds up the process, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, Haight-Ashbury in the 60s, I can only imagine all the different substances that were yeah. in their bodies at all times. Um, I have my last story is kind of related. Not really. There's brain hemorrhaging involved. Well, that was a lead-in that I didn't even try for. Oh, there, there we go. go. Transitions. Um. Yeah, so my last uh, sports untimely death story is about Bill Masterson, um, who died at 29 um, from a brain hemorrhage. So he was a he's the first and only player uh, to die during an NHL game. Well, technically not during an NHL game. It, that's when it started. <laughs> that sounds bad. I'm sorry, but like it, you know. He, Real quick, wasn't there an NHL player who died and then was resuscitated and then tried to go back on the ice? Or is that just a weird Twitter thing that was made up? That's probably... Possibly? (laughs) I don't think so. Okay. I mean, it's very typical for hockey players to... um, Die? No, no, not die. Well, like I'm saying, Bill Bastion was the the only person that happened to. But, like, to... like, I mean, last season, my favorite player got his teeth knocked out. Like, had multiple root canals. He left the game... um, Got like, uh, what's the stuff like Novocaine or whatever, mm-hmm. and, you know, numbed his mouth, played the third period, and then went to the dentist the next day, only to find out he had multiple like root canals. He was like, eh, it didn't hurt. <laughs> or like, you know, people get their face busted open, they go get stitches, they come out 10 minutes later and keep playing. Like, that's just hockey in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, so Bill Masterson at 29, um, died, and this was in 1968. And like I said, yeah, he was the first and only person to die during an NHL game. Um, he was checked, and this was at the time, uh, it should definitely be noted, that they did not have helmets. Um, a lot of players did not wear helmets. Now they are required to wear helmets, and I believe they're required to wear the, like, face visors, but there's still players that don't, that are kind of grandfathered in, because whenever they implement a rule like that, obviously, if you were playing without it before, they won't make you. Um, so there's, like, there's like a few players that still play without the visors, but yeah, this is a time where they weren't required to wear anything, so mm-hmm. the, these guys are out there with maybe goggles on, you know, that's it, um, po- possibly not, and, uh, so he got checked, hit his head to the ice very hard, um, and suffered a brain hemorrhage, and he was, 
officially pronounced dead two days later, but it, it was the game, you know, it was in the game. Um, the good news of it is at least that it did kind of uh, spur a movement within the NHL safety committee um, to be like, hey, we can't just have brain hemorrhages, you know, yeah. on the ice. And uh, eventually, I don't want to say this was the exact reason why they ended up with helmets and everything, but definitely I'm sure it was a push in the right direction for that. Um, and he is still honored every year as they give, uh, the NHL gives out tons of awards every year. Like they're one of like the teams that does like the most yearly awards, I think. Um, but they give uh, the Bill Masterson Award. Uh, so it's it's given to a player who um, kind of exemplifies like sportsmanship and dedication and Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. So I think, I mean, he his, like I said about a lot of things, like his legacy still lives on and it did push for better safety, so. Side note, I found it. Um, this <laughs> is from the Huffington Post. Yeah, so in 2014, um, Rich Peverly of the Dallas Stars was waiting on the bench uh, and he went into cardiac arrest. He slumped over and his teammates called for help and uh, two athletic trainers uh, carried him down a tunnel into a hallway to the dressing room, uh, and he was resuscitated. Uh, they started giving CPR, uh, and then they connected him to an automated external defibrillator. I can't say that word. Defibrillator. AED. Yes, an yes, AED. Okay, Thank you. Yeah. That's easier. Um, and he was uh, jolted. Yeah. Alive, and I mean, then he asked to return to the game. <laughs> speaking from someone, I would who, never want to cross a hockey player. I speaking. <laughs> Speaking from someone who I've fortunately never had to give CPR at work, um, but I am trained to do so. Honestly, once you, I mean, if especially if you didn't go unconscious, like, it, it's really not that, no pun intended, it's not that much of a shock to me that um, he'd be okay. CPR is essentially just, uh, well, I guess he would have had to go unconscious, but so, like, CPR is essentially just getting you breathing again and getting your heart pumping again once it does that. You're, you're pretty much the same. You're okay. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. obviously something was wrong, but, like, it's not like, you know, I'd be more concerned if someone, like, got sliced open on their head and, you know, was like, I can still play. Like, no, you're going to bleed out. <laughs> yeah. Once you get breathing again, you're breathing, you know? So it's not that much of a shock to me. That might just be my, like, desensitized lifeguard in me. That's yeah, that's like, kind of messed up. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. But yeah. I mean, your heart only stopped for, like, a minute. Come on. <laughs> Um, but Tough I mean, enough. if the if the AD if they only had to use like one round and it was good, I mean that's that's good. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Well, that so was this was our thing. this was our episode yes. on untimely death, and we definitely, if you couldn't tell, like probably had more to talk about and totally cut it down. So if this yeah. is like a good one and you want more untimely death. Let us Untimely know on, death stories. Let us know on yeah. Twitter or tell us. Uh, I'm more concerned about music. Um, yeah. Who are your favorite members of the 27 Club? That's well, the, I have a really quick question for you. Yeah. Like, I want your opinion. Okay. Amy Winehouse in the 27 Club or not? Like, died at 27, but I've seen a lot of, like, she can't be in it because she was more recent and she's not the same kind of music. Screw and, that. Uh, she was 27. <laughs> she was 27. I, just, I figured that's what you'd say, but I wanted to bring up a... Controversy. Who the hell writes rules on the Twenty Seven Club? <laughs> like, oh, she can't. She was twenty seven, but like, she died. What was it? Two thousand nine, two thousand ten, something, something like that. that. Like, yeah. that's too recent. Twenty seven is twenty seven. Just kind of like they didn't want to include her genre, and she wasn't as good as the other ones, and blah blah blah. So okay, that I don't know. I've just seen him. Gene Simmons is writing a book on the Twenty Seven oh, Club. I'm not going to plug it because he doesn't need any more money. 
Gene Simmons. Um, you can also buy a Kiss casket if you want. I don't My know dad's trying to get me to go see Kiss with him, and I'm. I mean, it's really, a good show. Um, I saw them. Not for that much money. That's probably true. <laughs> anyway, we're getting off topic. Yeah, here. but we do total. I know I had more to talk about. Um, yeah. So if this was something cool, we can do a part two. Yeah. So hit us up on Twitter. Let us know if you want more. Let us know your favorite uh, untimely death stories, which is a super if you have awful them. Way let us know it. if you have favorite untimely death yeah. stories like us, or also, if you're not strange like us. Also, we have uh, the rest of the season pretty much planned out, but we're open to make changes. Let us know if you want us to talk about anything. If there are any topics you want to hear about or have questions about, uh, and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Let us know what you think about the podcast. And until next time, this has been Beyond the Baselines.